Welcome to the Pathfinder Podcast, brought to you by Shillington, where we talk to creatives about how they navigated their design careers from the early beginnings up until now, and the twists and turns along the way. I'm Jimmy Muldoon, designer and teacher at Shillington's New York campus. Glad you could join us. Uh, Coin is a senior designer based in LA. Uh, she has worked with brand agencies such as Droga5, Snapchat, Google, and Squarespace. Her work is always thoughtful and she has a wonderful way of visually communicating concepts. Uh, Coin, it's a pleasure to have you uh, with us today. Awesome. I'm really, really excited to be here. I'm a little bit nervous, but I'm still really excited. <laughs> That's totally fine. Um, I think to start, I kind of wanted to ask some questions so people kind of get to know a little bit more about you. Um, so I kind of want to kind of touch on, you know, where are you from? Uh, where did you grow up? And and was the household that you grew up in a creative one? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I think the, the question of where you're from is always really interesting because I was born in Nigeria. I was born in Lagos and we came over to the U.S. when I was about like eight or nine. Um and that is definitely like a cultural influence that my parents held on to for dear life, you know, especially coming to the U.S. But like I grew up in Atlanta and I feel like Atlanta is such a it's such a specific place to grow up in. You know what I mean? That like that's very much so a part of like who I am, too. So there's like some duality there. Um, but I, I think I have the very basic immigrant story of, you know, my parents brought me over and had a family over here with the intention of like being very traditionally successful. Um, So nobody in my family was particularly creative or even really like, I think valued creativity in in certain ways. But but I think that definitely the, just the influences of like my, my, my natural culture and my found culture of Atlanta definitely like played into like how the type of creative that I became. Yeah. And I think it's very interesting. You, you touch on the traditional success. And I think um, within the creative industry, um, you know, we've all come across people that have been family traditions have been a, a big influence and they get to a point where they want to follow that creative um, passion that they have. How did you kind of, how do you start that conversation or what was that, like because I know there's lots of people that have experienced that yeah uh it was a very hard one (laughs) and I've always been the it's funny because I was talking to a friend about this last night about like how like no matter what I am doing I'm always going to be a pain in the ass like I could be like a ditch digger you know my job could be simply just to dig holes and I would still be like I don't know if we should be digging this hole like this in this area at this time of day, you know what I mean? Like, and I think that that was a very important part of me just like getting my point across to my parents, you know, that type of tenacity that I feel like I just kind of have naturally either built up or have. Um, So like the conversations to get to this kind of like creative like space were, especially with my dad who, you know, looking back on it, he had very like, again, like very just traditional like immigrant kind of story. He just wanted his children to be successful, you know, to the extent that they could and to be like, uh, like stable, you know what I mean? To have like his perception of what a good life is. And like, you know, I think when you're a child, you can... I don't think you understand those things in the same way, you know what I mean? And like him not 
always being the most like emotionally intelligent. I don't think he always like said it in that kind of very caring way. Um, but, you know, I think that through a lot of arguments, you know, and a lot of like frustration and a lot of tears, we we got to a point where he was just kind of like, okay, you know, let's maybe let's maybe look at what this can, what the, what the capacity of this can look like, because, you know, this is me quoting him, because I don't know even what the capacity of this space looks like, right? And I think it took a big part of like me being like, you know what, I'm, I'm not that good at drawing, you know, and like, maybe I don't need to be an artist. Maybe I can also like, look at what the capacity of this like field or space has to offer me too. And I think we just both came to that kind of understanding. And it's kind of nice to have those conversations and again as you said they're they're never easy ones but the reward of having that conversation with your family and with your father you know has led you to to this point which I'm sure you're very glad that you kind of took that step yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. so so this is my dad probably will never listen to this but I've I've said this to any like immigrant person especially Nigerian person who has like just uh, t- taking the time to listen to me, my father apologized to me, you know, and that was a very like, wow, you know what I mean? Like Nigerian parents do not apologize, you know, and he he was like, he kind of understood that, okay, you know, there's stuff that I just don't understand, you know, when it comes to like this space or this field and, or there's like, there, there are ways that you have figured out how to, how to finesse or how to make this space work for you. And like, you know, I was, I was in the way of that, you know, and, and I see that now, you know, uh, in, you know, through foresight or whatever. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's really big. There's like, obviously, <laughs> as, you know, our parents get older, there's a softening and, and you know, even continuing continuation of, of um, maturity. So, yeah, that's, that's huge. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, thinking about, you know, the, the place that you grew up, you know, um, Nigeria and then where, um, or Lagos and Atlanta, like what, what things do you draw inspiration from? Like what, what are some specifics about, you know, uh, Lagos or Atlanta that you as a creative draw from? Cause I'm assuming, you know, they're very different places. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, they are very different places, but I think, so maybe the one through line that I kind of draw from both of them is like color. Mm-hmm. Um, I really appreciate, uh, like, Nigerian, traditional Nigerian, like more, you know, um, yeah, I guess more traditional Nigerian like clothing and how it's expressive or even just how the culture is expressive. Like we are naturally aggressive people. We are naturally flamboyant, you know, people and the way in which we dress and in the ways in which we dance and in the ways in which we like express ourselves through like color is like, is so beautiful, you know? And it's so like, it's something that I think is just naturally embedded and just like in like what you're fed every day there. Um, and I think Atlanta has a, has a sense of flamboyantness too, you know, to it. That's like, that's extremely expressive and extremely like, um, almost like to me, almost like punk in a way, you know, almost like, okay, like we get what everybody else is doing, but like, we're just going to do what we want to do. You know, like we're going to, you know, wear things that are six sizes too big. You know, we're going to have like the chains, we're going to have the teeth, we're going to have, you know what I mean? And, and, and it's just because we want to, you know, and, and I appreciate that kind of just like, um, that just that true ownership of self, you know, and how you just kind of like let it shine in whatever way it needs to. Mm -hmm. And wearing it with confidence, like I think fashion, it's like 
huge place in in so many in every city everyone's every city has got its own style and it's just mm-hmm. you have to just wear it with confidence and go mm-hmm. this is this is what i want to wear and yeah, more than likely no one's <laughs> thinking why are they wearing that but it's just like oh that's that's yeah. a cool oh and it's a, and it's a creative confidence of just and this is this is me think bigger right mm-hmm. it is i agree i agree so how did you get into the world of design and, and what has really made you continue on in this path? Mm, okay. Um, so I really wanted to be a, um, I don't even know, did I want to be like an, I wanted to be like an illustrator or like a, like a true like painter, you know, I think whenever I was like 13, 14 and, you know, I realized that like, oh, I don't really like, like I'm, I'm, I can draw, you know, and it's like, and I can paint, but I don't really like it, you know, that much, but I like the finished product of it, you know, and I like how expressive that kind of like finished product is. Um, and so like, I, I thought for a really long time about like, okay, like, what does it, you know, what does it mean to kind of be like an artist? What does it mean to kind of be like an illustrator in those spaces? But I didn't really have language for it. And it wasn't until like a lot of years later, I met this uh, this really, really weird girl that my roommate at the time, and my roommate and my best friend at the time was hooking up with. And, you know, she wasn't weird in like a good way. She was kind of like, I don't know, she was kind of strange, but she went to this school that she used to talk to me about a lot called the Creative Circus. Um, and she was going there for uh, photography. So, I, you know, I later after a couple of maybe months to like a year, I looked it up and I was like, oh, you know, this is kind of, this is kind of interesting. I think I was really dismissive of it at first just because of who she was as a person. But, you know, after looking into it, I was just kind of like, oh, you know, this, this feels interesting. And at the time I had kind of convinced my dad to let me go on to this path of like, you know, creativity in whatever capacity I kind of wanted to explore. Um, so we were looking at schools like SCAD, we were looking at schools like Art Institute, we were looking at schools like Portfolio Center. Um, and, you know, like just from the second that I kind of walked into the circus, I was like, oh, this is like, the, these feel like my people, you know, and like the work was, it had a certain kind of like weirdness about it you know and there was a there was a there was a little bit of envy in me you know it was like oh I want to be able to make things like this there was like a challenging kind of effect that happened they just kind of all clicked um together but you know I, I think I I really thought about like what the core of what I appreciated about like design or art was you know and I, and I got down to that kind of communication aspect of it and how you know, like when it comes to like uh, being a painter or being like more of a traditional like artist, there's a lot of um, subjectivity, you know what I mean? It's kind of like, okay, it's expressive. It let people do what they want with it, let people roll with it, which is very beautiful. But I think for me, I I really value like communication, you know, and I appreciated the, the strategy that the circus let me kind of understand more about like the design world. Um, mm. And I think that was like definitely like the the, the anchor for me. Mm, yeah definitely i think creatives are a very, we're a weird breed <laughs> you know in the way that we think the way that you know we kind of piece things together and like connect things like random dots of research and how that yeah. ties into you know the color or illustration style or a type you know it is it doesn't it's not second nature to exactly. everyone but we have that ability as you said you know to to visually communicate something mm-hmm. at 
that it, mm-hmm. that it, there's a reason for that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so uh, can you tell us a little bit about your design journey and how that led you to where you are now at Squarespace? Um, so at the time I had finished up the creative circus around 2015, um, mostly just because I ran out of money. Um, and like right at the time before the money dried up, I was interning at an agency, um, in Atlanta and, uh, uh, what's this agency called? I want to say second story. It's like an it's like an experiential kind of like small shop. They do like a lot of like really hands-on, like um, you know, build and maker kind of tinker things, um, which I really appreciate. And they were having a portfolio review for students or recent graduates. And I had um I had submitted my work to be there and I had gone there. Um and I met a creative director who had just moved, um, I forget where he was coming from, but he had just moved to Atlanta and he was that now the head uh, ECD at Digitas LBI in Atlanta. And I don't remember him at all, <laughs> but a couple, maybe week, you know, to two, three weeks after that, he sent me an email saying that he really loved talking to me and really loved my work. And I was, again, in my head, I was like, who is this? I don't remember this person, you know, cause it, you know, when you don't portfolio reviews, you're just like, boom, 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 boom. Um, and so he asked me to come in, you know, and I came in and I had it up, you know, a proper interview. And he was just like, you know, this is just a formality. Like I, I really like talking to you and I would love for you to come work here. Um, but we're still figuring out some stuff. So he kind of asked me, okay, what is like, what is my asking rate, which as a fresh student, I'm like, I don't know what that is, you know, and I just, let me think about it, you know, kind of thing. And that after he works out a little bit of details, we'll figure out how to bring me on board. That took some time because in between that time and me starting at Digitas, I faked, I fake moved to Chicago you know, I was like, oh, I'm so tired of Atlanta. I'm going to move to Chicago. And I moved to Chicago for like three months, you know, like, and um, it started getting cold. And I was like, oh, shit, what am I going to do? It's so it's so hatefully cold out here. I can't stay here. <laughs> and it was like I was staying at like this artist co-op in like Evanston near like Northwestern University. And, you know, it was chill, like, you know, in the sense of like I had fun and the people I was living with were really, really, um, really, really tight. Um, but I got a phone call from Michael Ashley, which is the creative director's name. And he was like, okay, well, we got you an offer, you know, and you have a job down here. And I was like, I'm leaving this hellhole, this freezing cold hellhole called Chicago. And, you know, I immediately ran back to Atlanta. Um, and I started my job, um, 2015, I'm, I'm really, really bad with dates, you'll notice, but um, I started my job as a junior art director at Digitas OBI, working primarily um, on Delta, which is the big, biggest client the agency had in Atlanta, um, and some smaller things for, um, for some hospitals or some local brands or like pitches, you know, around the city. Um, and for me, that was really, really a great experience because I had peers who had gone to LA or gone to New York and they had a very different experience. You know, I think like being a junior working at like a really big shop or like, um, you know, shops are just like big numbers of people. I think it's easy for you to get buried. So like me as a junior art director, I was I was presenting work straight to the client because the agency 
I think was total like 50 people, you know, so I was presenting work straight to the client. I was owning, you know, project from start to finish. I was presenting my creative director. I had a lot of just autonomy and I had, and I got to touch a bunch of stuff. And I think that really helped me just like, um, figure, just figure it out, you know, in general, you know, not being underneath somebody's thumb in that kind of like heavier way. Um, and I was at Digitas for about six months and then I got promoted to an art director. Um, and I left, maybe a year, I want to say a year and a half, I think I was there. And I, you know, I think it wasn't even necessarily like Digitas because I love the people and I love working there and the culture, you know, the culture was great. The work was really interesting. Um, but I just, I think I had just like outgrown Atlanta to a certain extent. So I moved to New York without a job, you know, and I was just kind of like, ah, I think, I think I can do this. I think I can go to New York with my savings, you know, for a couple months, just like maybe not work and explore the city. And I could just kind of see what happens. I think I was just like really excited just to be like in a larger city for like a more personal reason. Um, and I moved to New York and I freelanced at a couple, well, I didn't, maybe I didn't work for like two months or something. I was just kind of like chilling, kind of exploring the city, figuring stuff out. Um, then I ended up getting like a couple freelance jobs at like smaller, like digital places. So like one of them being Quartz, which I believe is under Atlantic. So it's like a um, journalism kind of company. Like they do really beautiful, like digital infographics and more like human interest pieces. Um, and I was there for maybe about like four months, maybe like maybe three, four months before I got hired full-time at Droga 5 as a designer. Um, and Droga's work is very, um, very polished. You know, like I think I, I learned so much. The design team there specifically is like phenomenal. Um, the hierarchy of design at the time was phenomenal and it was very different than what I knew to be the norm, you know, of, of agencies again, because I was still relatively really new. Um, so we had a chief design officer, Jason Sievers, who was phenomenal. You know, we had an executive design director, group design director, design, you know, like all the way down to like junior designers, motion designers, you know, all kind of things that I, that I, they just, just made it really great to just like learn, you know, and made it really great to understand like what the full capacity of like design is, especially like transitioning from like art direction to design. Um, and that, that was definitely such a great experience. And I, I was at Droga for, I think, a little bit under two and a half years um, before I got an offer from Mullen Lowe in Los Angeles, you know, and I was just kind of like, you know, I've been cold. I've been cold in New York for quite some time now. Maybe, you know, maybe, maybe California wouldn't be too bad. And it was a senior, you know, design position. And I was like, you know, this could be, this could be interesting. Let me kind of try California out. Let me try this kind of work out. And Mullen, Mullen was like super, super tight. Um, the diversity of work was really phenomenal, you know, working on things from like Acura to Whole Foods to Tresemme, um, just such a mix of work that I really got to like take more ownership of. Again, like working at like a slightly smaller agency, um, just having that kind of autonomy to work on like larger things and really like own them fully. Um, and you know, since then I've, I've worked at Snapchat, you know, I think I, I really wanted to move into like just more truly like digital space. Like I think my strength is as a digital designer. Um, so getting to work more on like AR and just like uh, things that are a little bit more like um, experiential and less traditional, I think is where, where I'm always going to be the happiest. And currently I'm at Squarespace LA also, um, again, like digital work that's 
that has that bit of weirdness to it. And that is, um, that, that focuses on like good design and like really good storytelling. Mm. And that's yeah. kind of a little bit of everything. Yeah. With, yeah. With, with other freelance projects like here or there, you know, for, for such, for brands such as like Google and, you know, what, whatnot. Mm. Yeah. It sounds like it was, it sounds like, you know, the experiences that you had very like well-rounded, um, you know, and you got to lo- um, touch lots of different kind of projects and styles of projects and lots of different kind of mediums. And, you know, it, it kind of sounds like you really hate the cold as well. That's definitely not. <laughs> I feel like it's just being from Nigeria, you know, being born in the warmest place. Right. And then moving to Atlanta, which is also such a warm place. I, I underestimated how hateful the cold can truly be, you know, because New York cold is nothing compared to Chicago cold. Like yeah. I've cried in Chicago in the winter and I've been to Chicago tons of times, even outside of like, you know, that little fake move. I've I've like like gotten down like into a squat and like rocked back and forth tears in my eyes from being so cold in Chicago. So I, I just don't think it's for me. <laughs> No, and, and that's totally fine, you know. Bless all the people that live in, in Chicago and, uh, you know, we respect you. Yeah, bless the, just bless the whole Midwest. Just yeah. God's yeah. speed. <laughs> <laughs> While you're sitting in shorts and T-shirt, like, we're thinking of you guys. It's 70 degrees in California right now, so whoever's listening that's in Chicago, I'm sorry. You chose that. <laughs> Uh, so as a senior brand designer at Squarespace, uh, what does your role entail and what does a typical day, you know, quote unquote, typical, typical day look like for you? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's such a mixture, you know, so the LA team is like relatively new and creatively, I want to say, I always get the number wrong. There's only like eight of us. Uh, seven, eight of, of us. So it's like, there's, you know, we're, we're super nimble team, you know, we all kind of touch everything that comes across our plates. Um, but like this particular quarter, and last quarter, I've been on Instagram. Um, and the Instagram team is a, is a rotating kind of responsibility at Squarespace. So like every, um, I think proposed every two quarters, like everybody will, will be on Instagram to a certain capacity. Um, you know, and like the you handle a, like a plethora of things from like concepting to like shooting to like designing things that range from like full like feature shoots, you know, like uh, teams have created uh, short films, you know, for the platform or created like very like human interests, like stories, mm-hmm. or, you know, we're working on like creating like digital zines or, you know, we'll hire illustrators to kind of like help us tell stories or working with motion artists. There's a lot of fluidity to kind of like what create what we're creating there. Um, you know, and it's interesting too, to kind of, take the brand, you know, Squarespace, which is a very, like, very cool, very sleek, very sophisticated, like, black and white uh, New York, you know, brand into, like, this digital, like, social space and kind of figure out, okay, what does the language kind of look like here and how do we really engage customers in, like, meaningful and thoughtful ways? Um, So even the strategy side of that is really interesting. But, you know, outside of Instagram, which I'm still on other work, it's, you know, it's, it's very overall, like sometimes it's creating fake packaging for like fake products and fake brands, you know, for, for shoots or uh, full website experiences, or recently we refreshed, you know, certain details about the Squarespace logo um, or animation, you know, for spots and films. So it's a lot of, it, it just kind of varies. It really just depends on like what the brief is, but the exciting thing about Squarespace um, is that, 
if you have an idea, you know, that's like really tight, it's, it, it can get made, you know, you just have to really like want it to get made. So I, I really love that about the culture. Yeah. Have you kind of like pitched, are there kind of some ideas in the works that you've kind of put forward? There are, there are ideas in the works that I can't go into full detail yeah. about, but I, I think my favorite thing so far working at Squarespace has been like working with customers, um, yeah. have Squarespace like portfolios or, or they have their products, you know, on Squarespace. Cause it's like, there's so many people have just really amazing brands, you know, that Squarespace helps them kind of get out into the world, which is really tight. And, you know, working on like those very like human interest stories to kind of showcase like not just like what the pretty site looks like but like you know what the really interesting people you know that make the site pretty or make the site worth even having what they're what they're really doing with the product I feel like that's like that's where I get the most excited I think it also just it reinforces the fact that like you can do it too you know when you can see somebody that like looks like you or like maybe is even like aspirational to like how you want to like you know be viewed or the type of work you want to make is it just makes it, I think, a little bit more tangible for people. And I really appreciate that too. Yeah. In your career, you know, you've, you've kind of gone through lots of different places that, and different companies that you've, you've worked for. When going through the interview process, what are you looking for in that company? Mm, okay. So I have, yeah, I have like bullet points, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that... Like these are light because I think when you go into each interview, you kind of like find something different because each company is so different Uh, and every company has something like different to offer you for sure. Um, But I think like my number one right now, you know, especially like when you move into more senior positions, it becomes a little bit more like important um, diversity of thought. So it's not really for me simply like what the racial, you know, makeup of your employees, you know, kind of looks like, Um, but it's really about like, uh, how much can I come in and be a part of a team and like influence a team and have like true influence, you know, over like how the work is perceived or what kind of work we're making or what kind of people we're making the work with, Um, you know, and like what's, like how much space do I have to kind of question like how and like why we do certain things. You know, I think that there are places that you'll work and you'll notice that sometimes there's a lot of groupthink. And I think if you, you know, just depending on, I guess, what type of work you want to be making and what type of creative you want to be, it's it's probably better to be at places that have a little bit more fluidity, you know, and like a little bit more um, space for you to interject at least questions, you know, um, to really feel like you're a part of the team. Mm-hmm. Um, a competitive compensation you know it's like I I do my googles when it comes to like what I feel like somebody at my level with my background with my skill set you know should be getting paid and if for me you know at this point in my career if I feel like that is something that is not achievable you know for the agency or for the brand um it, it's something I really have to think about. Or, you know, I think I've also had places that we've worked in different ways to kind of figure out like what compensation looks like. Like it's not always just like the hard yearly dollar sign. Um, you know, it kind of comes to life in a lot of different ways too. And I appreciate having that conversation. And I think um, the higher up I've gotten in my career, the the more comfortable I've gotten with that money conversation for sure. Um, and I think to, to me, this last one is really important because this is, to me, this is the most of what Droga kind of taught me is just like a flexible pathway for success. 
you know, like having like, mm, again, it's not really about diversity. It's like about like, what are the different leaders, you know, of a company or of a brand? What are they bringing to the table as individuals and how are they different from each other? You know, like I, I think that for me, it's really important to feel like I am my own creative self, you know, and I'm not just trying to imitate somebody else's um, expression of creativity or leadership or, you know, anything like I, I really want to be able to like figure, not necessarily figure things out for myself. Cause I do believe in my teamwork, but like, um, feel like I'm not just bending, you know, because, because somebody is trying to force me to bend. And I appreciate when I can see like a really mixed group of thinking from my leaders, you know, and I can see what, how they are all different from each other and how they are, um, all just bringing like a unique kind of vision to either their position or to the company. Um, Cause I, I mean, I, I think it goes into that kind of like, um, <laughs> what, what do people say? Like that, that just like old white man trope, you know what I mean? It's like, it's not even necessarily about like them being all old white men, but if you are all, all old white men, you might kind of have a similar thought process. You know, you might kind of have similar backgrounds and you might all come to like similar conclusions. So, um, you know, I think it's just important for me to kind of see that there's some some differentiation as far as like how people are, are thinking about things. Yeah, because you bring a set of skills to the table that is different <laughs> to someone else. And I think you kind of unpack that. It's actually a really, really interesting thought. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think one thing I definitely want to like emphasize for like the idea of like flexible pathways for success is even like um, um, just because I am a creative director does not necessarily mean I want to be a manager. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I appreciate places that kind of have uh, that allow you to not force yourself, you know, into certain types of roles in that way. You know, it's like, just because I'm a senior designer, it does not necessarily mean I want to go into the path of like management, you know, maybe I want to be a maker for as long as possible, or maybe I do want to be a manager, you know, cause I've, I've worked underneath like uh, managers who are just not good at it. You know what I mean? And like, that's not, it's not because I'm doing something wrong. It's not because they're doing something wrong. It's just because like, that's not, you know, really what their skills, you know, are meant for, you know, they are, they, they want to be makers and maybe the structure in which the agency or the brand is working under doesn't allow them to actually like do that, you know? Mm -hmm. So then we're both kind of in an awkward position. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly right. And and there's one thing I kind of want to circle back around to that kind of like you brought up at the very start that you are big on the why questions. Like, why, why am I doing this? Like, is is that something that, you know, if it's digging a hole or a, or a typeface choice or a concept direction, like how, how important is that for you as a creative to be putting those questions to yourself and to the team? Oh, the most important, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't know if it's because I'm a difficult person, you know yeah. what I mean? But I'm just kind of like, if the why doesn't add up, like my interest level goes down exponentially and it just feels like a, I'm going to definitely try not to curse that much on this podcast, but it just feels like a circle jerk, you know? And I think within like advertising, it's really easy for us to get into that space, you know, of just like doing things just for, just to pat ourselves on the back, you know? And I think for me, anything that I create, I want it to feel like it can 
add at least a little bit of value to people's lives or like at least not be intrusive at the at the very least you know mm-hmm. not be intrusive right um or or just feel human you know what i mean like i'm not interested in making like things that are overly polished just for the sake of being overly polished i'm not interested in making things that win awards just to win awards you know what i mean like i i want to tell really human stories i want to like showcase like the really cool and like weird and obscure things that people are like doing and making, you know, like, I feel like that's, that, that's generally my happy place. And if the, if the why feels a little bit pat on your backish, you know what I mean? I'm just kind of like, ah, okay. You know, or if the why is tied to somebody's ego, you know what I mean? It's just kind of like, oh, okay. You know, I, and I can I can make anything look good, right? That's that's the beauty of being like a designer, you know what I mean? But it's nice when there's a little bit of structure behind the why, a little bit of passion behind the why, definitely. Yeah, it kind of fuels you as a creative mm-hmm. to push further, to really kind of believe in what you're doing, rather than mm-hmm. I have to make something look look pretty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Talking about your career, uh, have there been any kind of pivotal moments of you know, rejection or success that have changed the course of your career? There have been rejections for sure that have made me just like think about how good I am, you know, and really reevaluate like maybe I'm just really not that good, you know, and then like, okay, what do I need to work on to be to be as good as I need to be to kind of like be introduced to like this new space or this new segment in my career, you know, right? Um, you know, and I think that's I think that's always great for everybody to kind of go through just like being told no. Like I think it's really I think it's great to hear no, you know. And I and I I definitely have an ego, right? Like everybody does, but I I still appreciate when something can kind of like shake that up a little bit. Um, sorry if you can hear my neighbor's dog. <laughs> It's all good. <laughs> I'm surprised you can't hear the New York sirens. It's quiet. No, I can't. I'm surprised yeah. you can't hear the LA sirens because like, we just have like sirens back and forth. Like, I don't even think that like rejection or success have been like a driving force in my career at all. Um, I, I think like the most the things that come to mind the most when I think about like really pivotal like moments in my career have just been like the people I've really had the pleasure of working with. Like I think about Michael Ashley, like that first creative director I came, you know, came across who really was just like, I, I like you, I like your work, come work here. You know what I mean? And like, I have, I have an interest in your career, you know what I mean? Or creative directors I worked with at Digitas. Like I had um, a creative director of Molly at Digitas LBI in Atlanta who sat me down and was just like, you're really bad at presenting, you know, and these are, these are things that you can do to get better. Like that has stuck with me, you know, for such a long time, you know, to now I really like, I value presenting in different ways or, or people who have, you know, critiqued like my, my type choices or like my color choices or like my, you know, letting, tracking, like, you know, storytelling, anything. I feel like those moments of like criticism to me have been like the biggest pivots in, in like my work and my work ethic, you know, and like what I've just been able to produce, which has then ultimately affected my career. Mm. Yeah, re- it's really, really important. I think what you're talking about there is it, it's kind of humbling. Mm-hmm. You, know, you get that note or you get the, this is, this is off or this doesn't mm-hmm. work from someone that you respect. Like it's, exactly. 
yeah, it, it is an, an element of like humbling, but then I guess you've got a choice then to go, okay, am I going to get my back up here or am I kind of going to look at what they have to say and then actually make those adjustments? Because it sounds like you had great relationships with these people. Absolutely. Which has been a testament to you to be able to kind of take that on because it's not easy as a creative to take on feedback like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do. I think for creatives, it's really important. It's so important to separate like work from self. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I think that a job is still a job, you know, and, and like you as, as perfectionists, which I, we all are to a certain extent, like we want to, we want to be able to do something to the best of our ability, you know, and it's like, if somebody is giving, if somebody that you have visually seen do the thing better than you, you know what I mean? is telling you that they don't think you're, you're doing it to the best of your ability yet. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't take that as a slight, you know, versus, um, versus maybe if I'm looking at somebody that's trash, that's telling me I'm trash. I'm like, well, we both trash together. So here we are, you know, (laughs) um, you know, and I, and I think in either case, it should always be with care, you know, and it's, it's never, um, it's never aggressive and it's never meant to be like, um, flippant. And I, and I always really appreciate it for sure. Yeah. Has, has, that been a big learning curve for you when you're providing feedback to someone that you're overseeing? Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I always, I, I don't, it's funny. I don't worry about hurting people's feelings because I don't, I don't think of myself as a person that comes off as like, um, with any type of like that type of intention you know what i mean like it's not i don't go into like feedback with like oh i hope i don't hurt their feelings because i don't think that i say things in a way that you would take as like hurting feelings you know and i and i think i'm always really open to like talking about things for as long as a person needs to so that's not the first thing in my head but i do want to make sure that i am being very specific you know with them you know, about like what they could do better and not kind of comparing them to like other people or past or, you know, whatever. Cause I think it's easy to kind of do that. You know, I really try to make sure that I see like what the person like want, first of all, what the person wants to be doing, you know what I mean? And then like how I can help them get to that thing that they want to be doing or how I can help them kind of maybe think about it in ways that they haven't thought about it. Mm. I think as a creative and, you know, it speaks to you as a person of like that very kind of relational side by side, like, Hey, let, let me just ask some questions about this. And what did you think about this? And, you know, hearing that feedback from then can be incredibly helpful with how you approach mm-hmm. back. It's, it's funny. I was working with an intern at Droga one time and, um, we we were both kind of assigned a project but like you know I was going to be like overseeing her and everything and after we were briefed you know I asked her I was like you know well how do you how do you like to work you know and how do you want to go about like reviewing and you know just tell me like what makes you comfortable as far as like progress and flow and she literally looked at me and she froze and I was like what's wrong she was like nobody has ever asked me that before (laughs) you know what I mean and I'm just like yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't go into something assuming that everybody understands it at the same level or like even wants to be, you know, addressed in the same way. Like I, I really want to give people space to like, um, to feel their most comfortable so they can kind of like, you know, design or create at, at their best. Yeah, definitely. Um, so how do you approach days when you're just not feeling creative at all? 
I feel like um, my all my managers are going to hear this and be kind of upset, but I I literally just don't work. You know what I mean? Like if if I if in my heart I feel like fatigued or I just feel distracted or I feel anxious or I just you know I can't get to it, I just don't work. Like I watch funny videos on YouTube, I FaceTime with my friends, I walk and grab food. I like I waste so much company time, you know what I mean? And I literally just try not to think about it. And I just like kind of uh, consume like inspiration, you know, and like in like not overly forceful ways, but I just try to give myself a little bit of separation from it. And I think like, you know, that helps me for sure. Um, I think like during COVID, of course, it's different for everybody, but in, in my general every day to day that has worked for me, you know, pretty consistently. Um, and then I think when I take off that little bit of pressure, it's easy for me to come back and be like, okay, I got this. Cause I, I do think that, um, oh, so this is like a tangent, but uh, my first job, my, my first creative director, he told me to bill, right? <laughs> every second that I was thinking about a project, you know, and I think he really painted it to me in this way. I think he was thinking about resourcing, right? But he painted, he painted it to me in this way of like, there are times when we're on a pitch or you're, you know, we're on something that's very like, um, that's just a bigger kind of project. We're like, you're thinking about it in times when you don't even, your, your body is reacting to the amount of work and the pressure of work in ways that you're not even like aware of, right? And you should be billing for each of those minutes. <laughs> you know, his objective was definitely to get more people on the team because we were kind of short. Um, but that really made me think about like myself as a creative and how much like background thinking, you know what I mean, we do about work. And I think that if I'm not forcing myself to sit in front of the computer, I'm still doing that background thinking, you know what I mean? Um, in active and passive ways. So I kind of, I factor that in, you know, when I'm wasting company time, I definitely do. <laughs> they're like are they go to youtube channels that you like are just like you know it's gonna make you laugh or let me tell you so my favorite youtube channel <laughs> right now is uh rdc world one mm -hmm. and it's like this group of like seven just like um like black kids that live in Texas and they make like these videos. So one of their best videos is called like Anime House. And it's them like uh, recreating this like fictional world where all these different anime characters live under one house. And there are three episodes and they're working on the fourth one right now. And I am in, I am literally just waiting until it comes out. I'm so excited about it. Uh, so that's RDC World One <laughs> on YouTube and Instagram. Really great videos. Highly recommend. I I never not laugh. So <laughs> yeah, there's um, there's one that I I I watch on uh, Instagram. It's called The Inspired Unemployed. Uh, it's essentially just like yeah, two guys, uh, very Australian, just like kind of taking the piss out of like different situations and yeah, uh, yeah very very funny. Um, okay, and I, I think look it up. yeah, all kind of happened through like COVID. Yeah, and, yeah. Oh yeah. my god. The so I've I've already like I'm a master of YouTube. Like I I don't have a TV in my house, and people always make fun of me for that. I haven't had a TV since I moved out of my parents' house, but like I love YouTube, you know, like, I feel like I'm just a very, I'm an internet person and I, and I like, 
I like YouTube. I like the type of like content people are able to put up. You know, I like that you could just make something and put it out into the world and I can find it and watch it, you know, and I can support you by, you know, supporting your Patreon or your GoFundMe or send you money, you know, in whatever way. I just like that direct to consumer kind of thing about it. But I just love that like, there's just so much to find, you know, I love YouTube. <laughs> yeah. You can real deep dive and get lost down this like yeah. rabbit hole of yeah. like, yeah. People just doing the weirdest things. Um, and it's kind of nice to just mindlessly kind of like watch some of those things. Like you can yeah. just, like, just consume it and just like one thing that I, I get sucked into is um, like sports mm. fail. Um, or like, <laughs> I don't know why, or like people like riding like bikes and yeah. <laughs> they, and like they falling. Fall you like videos yeah. of falling? <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah, my girlfriend would be like, what are you watching? I was like, kids getting hurt, like the Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, who, who did I... Who am I dating? You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's like, yeah, she's definitely had to like question her decisions. Um, but it's just, I don't, I don't know what it is. It's just like, I think when you, as a creative, are constantly thinking and, and it, it's kind of nice to just get to a point where your mind just goes blank mm-hmm. and you don't like that. That's the key point, I think. And I think you even kind of talk about it as like, <laughs> you can just, the mind is just able to rest and watch something and laugh. Like humor is, is such a needed thing for a creative. No, I get it. I totally yeah. get it. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've heard you kind of talk before in the past about projects that you you worked so hard on that never saw the light of day. Like how do you as a person as and as a creative process that? I don't believe that ideas, you know, ever really die, but I do believe that um, ideas can just not be right for a particular project. And I just try to keep that in mind. you know, like similar to what I said in the beginning, like I really do view design as communication and sometimes the way or, you know, the, the moment in which we're trying to like get an idea across just doesn't work for a brand or for a project. And that's fine. You know, I, and I find it, I think it's more of like an ego thing, at least for me, you know, when I just can't let go of an idea um, rather than like um, something that I can put like facts or like hard data behind. Like I can't prove that like this design direction is going to like make this brand more money or hit this KPI any harder, you know what I mean? Than like this other idea. Um, And it just usually feels like it's like attached to like some form of ego. Um, so I, you know, I try to keep that in mind, you know, like an idea doesn't necessarily need to die. It's just, it's just maybe not right. And then I just kind of archive it, you know, I put it away, um, and it never fails somewhere down the line, you know, it, it comes back up and it's more relevant. It may not look the exact same, you know what I mean? It may not feel the exact same, but a kernel, you know, a little bit of that can then like lead me to like maybe an even better idea for a a new project or a different project. Mm. Yeah, I think that little that little gem that, that and what you kind of talk about there, that kernel, you know, just like pulling that one thing and it, and it, and I think as time goes on as well, like I'm sure then if you go back to that idea and you find that little gem, you're like, oh, now I can do this, this, and this with it, and kind of take it so much further than 
maybe what it was initially going to be used for in that in that first kind of initial idea or concept. Exactly. Yeah. That must be like a, a great feeling to like, oh, come back to it and then really kind of like expand on it as mm -hmm. a creator. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what what's one of the, the projects that you're most proud of in your career? Um, so I'm really particularly proud of like the EVA air work in my book. Um, and even outside of like how beautiful the work turned out, I think just how much I got to influence the work um, from like the concept to the art direction, to the design, to the UX design, um, and really bring a new way of thinking to the agency, especially a new way of thinking about like digital design and web design. Um, because at that particular agency, um, they would outsource a lot of that type of work. Like nobody there had a, a kind of skill set to do UX design or to do true digital design in that way. You know, when I was approached with, with the, with the beginnings of that idea, uh, a copywriter came up to me and she was doing wireframes, you know, and she, she came up to me and she asked me, what is a wireframe? And I was like, oh my days, like, you know, what are we, okay, this is, this is going to be, this is going to be an interesting one, you know, right? So like going from like literally a copywriter, not knowing what a wireframe is, but being assigned to do wireframes to then like a beautiful, you know, kind of through 360, like visual project that takes people through this whole experience of like flying, you know, first class through this uh, EVA air airline, you know, to three different destinations and you can explore the streets and the photography is really beautiful. The lighting is really beautiful. The storytelling is really beautiful. Um, you know, there was a lot of work put in there and, um, you know, I appreciate that. I think it definitely gets to show like the full range, you know, of my, of my skill set, And I appreciate that. What was the, the, the kind of overarching idea or concept to this project? Um, so I, I think the, the hook was gateway to Asia, you know, and like EVA air came to us, you know, with this ask of how do we, how do we show people that if you're flying to Asia, you know, we're the best airline to fly, you know, and we were like, okay, like, let's just take them there. You know, how can we take them there? So how can we use AR? How can we use, um, motion graphics? How can we use like uh, beautiful unexpected UX, you know, design, to to help transport people to like these three top destinations you know and when they're there what can they do like can we immerse them with like sound can we have them explore the streets of of ho chi minh city can we have them explore the the canals of bangkok you know can we um you know immerse them in like the the chatter of the sound or the the streetcars or in you know the lighting and you know can we also like then like teach them a little bit about your background as a company and why you value um hospitality so much mm. yeah it was interesting like going to that project on your site and just the video um and the motion that you kind of show in there it kind of like i felt like i was kind of in that environment like even mm. though i'm just watching it on a screen i was kind of like really transported into the you know the canals i was transported into the doors opening um and so forth there was this like, incredible emotional kind of connection mm -hmm. to how you kind of visually communicated you know through emotion through the photography uh, photography and, and the video everything was like very thoughtfully created thank you thank you yeah. i'm really, really really proud of that work and the team worked really really hard and um i think we're all really happy with how it came to life 
what kind of skills have you learned and you've grown in with working with so many different diverse creatives, you know, copywriters, you've got like motion people in there, you've got, you know, photographers and, and so forth. Cause I don't know if like I've picked up skills per se, but I think I've realized more so that like, um, I don't have to do everything, you know? And I think there's, there's a difference in the ways that you work when you're in school, you know, and there's versus when you get into the, the real working world of like a professional designer, um, you know, and there's like, there's beauty in realizing that like, oh, like the full burden of how this thing ultimately looks is not up to one person, you know, it truly is a team effort, you know, and I think, I don't know if that's necessarily a skill per se, but I think that's like something that I've come to, to, to really, really value. You know, it's like, I can work with a photographer that can like oversee like photography or, you know, I can work with a motion artist, you know, they can oversee like how, what the language of this is. Like I can set tones, you know, but then like there are people who can spend the time iterating and like building on and like adding that little like surprise and delight. And I, you know, I find that to be like really, really um, just amazing. Mm. And because I'm, I'm trying to think if I had to think about like skills per se, like I think having that kind of like really like nimble team that's able to kind of own and hone in on like what their what their parts are allows me to just like do what I'm good at, you know, allows me to really focus in on the design and allows me to think about you know, like color in ways that I hadn't before, typography or like, you know, really like explore the full like nature of the brand um, in ways that I wouldn't necessarily have the time to do if I had to worry about all the other little pieces, you know? And, if, and you know, of course, as you become more senior, like you're overseeing those people, you know, as they're creating these things, but even that still gives you time to really hone in on the design aspect for sure. Yeah, I'm always kind of like fascinated by copywriters Mm -hmm. I think that's one thing that working with a team or, you know, within a project like you, like you have with, um, you know, even with Google and, and Snapchat is the copywriters that you have. Like, mm -hmm. fascinated I, love, by, I uh, love copywriters. They're, they're like by far, like copywriters and motion designers are by far like my two favorite people to work with, you know, like, I, so I guess even to answer your earlier question about skills, I think I've gotten better at, understanding like what a good script is you know and understanding like what good dialogue is um i i don't particularly have like a lot of interest all the time uh in working on films you know per se but i think the the opportunities that i have had to you know to partner with a copywriter for a film or you know for for something that's a little bit more like art direction based i i always really enjoy that because it's just the ways the words just come to life you know it's like it's just so beautiful you know and it's so it's just structured and it's concise or it's funny or it's, you know, human. It can be, you know, whatever you want it to be in ways that I could never do. <laughs> yeah. There's, um, uh, friends of mine have just launched an incense company called Moody, uh, based in Melbourne. And it's uh, two, two girls I used to work with in a company. One's a copywriter, one's a designer and illustrator and seeing them come together again to create this brand. Like, the copywriting and the visuals that come together, it just kind of like, it's just like, it feels like a person. It's literally to me just as important as what 
um, as what your colors are, you know, just as important as any part of like your visual, you know, your true like language language, like adds a sense of like understanding, you know, to how people kind of hear you in their head, you know, when they read your words or when they kind of like are exposed to you as a brand. I think it's extremely important. And I think it's a thing that a lot of, um, it may be like smaller e-commerce, you know, kind of like Instagram-y brands like overlook because I think it is an extra like arm a lot of times, right? If you're not like a more established company, but you you definitely feel the difference. Yeah. Um, so obviously for quite a while now, you know, the coronavirus has, has changed our everyday, you know, living. How has that affect, you know, your you know, workday routine and the way that you handle projects? um and and team relationships Mm -hmm. um so i actually i started at squarespace during quarantine um so i've i've only met my coworkers in in person like a small handful of times and never we've i've never been to the office um the office was actually something that they were still finishing when they were building out the la team um so you know for me that's really interesting to to take a job especially because i'm such like a i'm such a um an energy person, you know, like to, so to take a job with people that I've never sat in the same room as, you know, was definitely like a leap of faith, you know, on my part, because it's like, you know, I think people can say words, but when you're in a room, you can feel their body language. You can like read their eyes. You can just like read them in different ways. And I think it's important for me to feel like I have a certain type of understanding, you know, with whoever I'm working like with, and especially whoever I'm working under. Um, But you know, I, I think I, I definitely, I still got the good vibes clearly from Squarespace, which is why I'm here. Um, but, you know, it's me as a person that is a workaholic, you know, I find it, I find it, it's been really difficult, you know, for me, like working at home. Cause before this, like I had a very, very hard rule of like, I don't open my laptop to do work in my home you know like if I have to do work and I can't be in the office like I'm going to a coffee shop or I'm going to a restaurant I'm going outside because I just know in my head it's really easy for me to to just like to go 16 hours you know doing something right and then like on the weekend to go 16 hours doing something and it's just like I have to create a form of like separation for myself Mm -hmm. um you know and like I now have a full office, you know, in my apartment, you know, with like a desk chair and like a proper setup. And I'm just like, Ugh, you know, but, but, you know, rather than again, like in my space, trying to make every, every inch of it a place where I do work, I'm trying to compartmentalize, you know, where I'm doing my work. And I think that has been really, really helpful for me. So it's like, you know, if I'm doing work, I'm sitting at my desk, like I'm not sitting on my couch. I'm not sitting in my uh, dining table. Like I'm sitting at my desk. I'm focusing on getting it done. So then I can, you know, move around freely um, after that. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I don't, I don't think I have any kind of like trick to make it, you know, easier. It's like some days I, some days I have a really hard time. Some days I find it really, really easy to get work done, um, you know, within this like new normal, but you know, we just, we just do what we can and we take, we take it day by day. Yeah. And, and I think it's been a quite an, uh, an adjustment for, for everybody to, you know, you know what it's like to live in New York. Uh, you know, you don't necessarily always get that office and, and, and living space, you know, mm-hmm. New York, it's, <laughs> it's all together. All together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Your living room is your kitchen. 
Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so it is a really difficult thing to parmentalize that because yeah. you, you know, especially when this started, you woke up, you mm-hmm. went to work, you yeah. kind of, I, I worked through lunch because I didn't have that routine yeah. of not being in the classroom or not being at a project and going out and getting lunch or doing something. There was never that break. So it was, for everyone, it's been a really difficult way of putting some boundaries in place. And I think what you're talking about there is like, you've got the ability to have the office space and and your home space and not to blur the lines because it is very easy as a creative when you're a workaholic and you love what you're doing to not bring the computer to the couch while you're watching, you know, your, your documentaries or the, or the or news or sport. It's, or have it in the kitchen. Yep. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause it, it's so funny when we do stuff like that. Like the other day I was at a cafe, like sitting outside and there was a man who was like walking to his computer and um, computer. He was walking to his car, but he had his laptop open and he was typing as he was walking to his car. And I'm just like, wow, like, they need that email now, now, you know what I mean? Like in the ways we just convince ourselves that things are either now or never, you know what I mean? Are just kind of ridiculous. And I, and I have to, I have to, for me, mentally keep that in check, especially, you know, right now where mm-hmm. there's, like you said earlier, there's not that great sense of boundary, you know, when it comes to that. Yeah. Um, what, like, what are some of those, what are some of those new routines that you've kind of built into your, your life now that allow kind of that separation from, you know, work to, you know, maybe, you know, that lunch break that you mm-hmm. normally have. Mm-hmm. Um, new routines I have now, I, I have coffee breaks with my coworkers, which I would have in person, you know, but I make that a point, especially with people I haven't, some people who I haven't met in person, you know, and some people who I have like once or twice, Um, You know, I try to do that coffee break that gives me a little bit of separation from my computer just in the middle of the day, you know, kind of thing. I luckily I live in downtown LA. So there's like tons of things for me to walk around and kind of do. Um, I try to have a hard stop at like six. I recently started working out with like a trainer. So we do like six o'clock, like every other day. So it's really helpful for me to just be like, guess what? At six o'clock, I'm done, you know? Um, I have therapy like once a week at like, it depends sometimes 5.30, sometimes six. So I think again, it's it's easy for me to be like, ah, I have therapy at six. I'm offline for the rest of the night, you know? Um, you know, and I try to just make sure I keep those things like really consistent um, to help myself kind of create those like harder lines of like when I need to stop, you know? Um, and I try also just not to immediately wake up and hop on my computer, you know? Like I try to like, let me wake up, you know, let me get my yogurt, let me get some tea, let me look outside my balcony, it's why I have this balcony, you know, let me go downstairs to the bodega. I know people in New York hate when I call the the corner store downstairs a bodega in LA, but I'm calling it a bodega, you know, let me go down there and grab something, you know, before I hop just straight on my computer and just like burn my retinas out looking at this screen all day. Yeah, but it's so but that it's so easy to do, and I think having those systems in place, like I do a very similar thing. Then I wake up and it's like put the coffee machine on, you know, and I've got that cup of coffee. I head back upstairs, 
got the workout and then I can mm-hmm. get into my day and just having some of that nice routine because if I didn't, like you said, you just get up and just straight to the screen. So during this time, what is one of the most recent skills that you've learned as a creative? Mm, um, when it comes to programs specifically, the best program I've learned in the past year and a half for sure is Figma. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love it's for those of you who don't know Figma, it's basically like sketch on the internet, you know, so it's like connected to the internet. So I love that aspect of it because there is accountability for everybody. So it's not, again, it, it doesn't become just the designer's responsibility to like have the capacity to update this thing. You know, everybody is connected to it. Um, you know, anybody can make an edit, anybody can make a tweet, you can leave comments. It just, it makes you feel like a very connected team when you're working on it in like the best, in like the best ways for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think whenever you are a creative, like the the idea of having to learn another program or a new program, I feel like is kind of daunting. So I think, you know, when you do get one down, it feels like, okay, it feels like you accomplished a thing. And I appreciate having, you know, learned one that is like so helpful and helps my process in so many ways. Mm. Um, And I think like probably not necessarily so much within like this past year, but like I think the overall best skill that any creative can ever learn is how to present your work, you know, how to talk about your work. I think especially um, designers were a little bit more prone to being like shy or being a little bit more like, you know, like mute when it comes to like meetings or, you know, certain types of like, um, just like ownership of work or talking about work or presenting work. And I think that the more I've learned how to like really um, talk about my work and like present my work and have people on the same page of that, you know, as me when I'm talking about creative ideas has helped open doors, you know, and helped really just have my uh, my process be really, really smooth. And I appreciate that. Yeah. And yeah, it is it is really important because if you can't sell the idea, mm-hmm. like it's mm-hmm. kind of obsolete. I've seen people um, literally like not sell good, like not sell really, really, really good ideas just based off of bad presentations. And it's heartbreaking. You know, it's like, especially um, if you are the person that maybe did the work and you have like leadership presenting your work, you know, and, and bad presentation is not just like a junior's responsibility. You know, like I think that there are people of all different levels who maybe they just haven't honed in on that, you know, and like it definitely shows when you're talking about um, when you're just talking about work that people spent a lot of time doing, you know, you, you want to make sure that it's being presented to the best of its ability. And I think that if you can take ownership of that, you're going to, you'll notice like a big shift in your career for sure. Yeah. Because it can come down to like those in-house ones or pitching an idea to, you know, the art director, creative director in, you know, in meetings before it going to the client and then the client ones, like they're nerve wracking. Mm-hmm. But I think as a creative, it's a necessary skill because you're not going to get away with not presenting mm-hmm. as a creative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so what advice would you tell your younger self before entering the design community? Um, I think the, the most important thing would be uh, that most people are unsure, you know, and I don't necessarily think that there's an award for you, like pretending to be unsure, you know, that, that anybody's going to give you. And it's 
completely fine to be nervous and it's completely fine to not know. But I think just like communicating, um, just communicating, communicating, communicating. And I don't think anybody would ever be upset at you for not knowing. Um, number two would be like being the loudest person in the room is not the only way to be impactful. You know, so going back to what I said about different pathways for success, I appreciate when I see like leadership or even just, you know, my peers who are able to like command a room and not have to like be the most, um, the biggest person, you know, there, you know. Um, and I think number three would be like, this is going to be fun as shit, but you will cry. <laughs> You're going to have a really good time, but you will definitely cry. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that is so so true. We've all been in that in that moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, in that, you know, there's a lot of a lot of great advice that kind of we we hear. Like, what are some things that people should ignore? Mm. Um, going to this place or this shop or this agency is going to be the end of your career. I don't think you should listen to that. I think that everybody can't go to like the six places that everybody has on their list as the best places to work, right? And underneath that, there are places that you're going to learn so much at. There are places that you're going to like make phenomenal work at. There are places that you're going to have like true influence at. There are places that you're going to like grow so much at. Um, and nobody is really going to be able to tell you for certain, you know, where to get those type of experiences from because everybody's path is really different. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, number two would probably be like to ignore this like trope of you'll make the best work of your career at such and such place. You know, I think ignoring these kind of like I don't, these weird industry standards for where you should and shouldn't work, mm. um, I think will just help you kind of focus in more on like what type of creative you want to be and what type of work you really want to be making. Mm. Yeah, very, very true. You know, everyone on the same journey, but the path looks so different for everybody. And it's just mm-hmm. like you yourself. Um, when you as a creative, what do you love most about design? Mm. I love... And, and this doesn't even just go straight into the design, just like creativity in general. Like, I love that you you start with like literally nothing. You know, I appreciate that you just have not even necessarily a, a blank canvas, you have nothing, you know what I mean? And then after some tinkering and after some thinking and after some like research and after some conversations, you have like a real thing, you have a thing that you made. And if in the best case scenario, you have a thing that you made with your friends, you know, um, and you have a thing that hopefully can add just some type of value to people's lives, you know, even if it's just like they smile at it, you know, and I think that's really tight. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think even like looking back on some of those things, as you said, like blank page, like I've, I found like an old notebook from like when I entered the design community and just those first initial sketches and you know and different projects along the way of like the first initial sketches and then actually seeing the project and people interacting with it is Mm -hmm. is is an incredible feeling Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what advice would you give to a driven design student about to enter the creative industry um 
Okay. I think that the first would be, and we've talked about this, you know, previously is to take every piece of advice loosely because everybody's path is very different, you know, and all you're going to do is just kind of stress yourself out trying to compare yours for a one for one. Um, the second one I think would be to stay close to people who do work better than you, you know, stay close to people who challenge you and who, who maybe make you feel small about the things you're creating. Of course, you know, with like the intent of you getting better. Um, but I think it's important to like surround yourself with people who do like aspirational work. Mm. Um, the third would be if you're not getting it wrong, you're not trying hard enough. You know, if, if you're going into meetings and it's the, especially as a junior and it's always, it's always right, or it's always okay, or it's always, you know, there, I think that there's space for you to just like explore and to push boundaries a little bit more. Mm. Um, Number four, and I think this is the most important thing for me, this is something that I know about myself, is that you just need to iterate more and then iterate some more. Like iteration is, is I think, where you're going to find like the sweet spot of like doing like work that you're just like, I'm so surprised that I even got there, you know, mm -hmm. like I'm surprised about myself as a creative. Mm -hmm. um, and then the fifth, and I think this is really, really important to me personally, is that a, a career is not always a ladder. You know, I don't think about my career as a ladder. I think about it as like, kind of like, ooh, this is going to be a bad reference because I haven't seen this movie, but kind of like Thanos in the Infinity Stones. <laughs> it's kind of like you just collect, or, you know, I'll do, I'll do one that I know better. It's kind of like Dragon Ball Z and the Dragon Balls. You know, it's like, it's about collecting a bunch of things that add, you know, some form of value or give you like this greater gift. It's not always about like, oh, I need to become this, 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 and this, and I need to just kind of shoot straight up. You know, there's a lot of zigzagging and there's a lot of exploration there to be done. Mm, yeah, very true. It's like, it's not this one straight linear mm -hmm. path, you know, you bounce around and you get things wrong and you get things right. And, mm -hmm. you know, and, and you learn all that way, you know. Mm, yeah, definitely. Great advice. How can, what advice do you have for, for designers out there that are, you know, dealing with the imposter syndrome and, and knowing that someone else is out there that's maybe better than them and that, you know, they can just be replaced of a click of a finger? Mm, yeah, that's an interesting one because like, no matter how much a company would like you to believe that this is true, you are not that replaceable. You know what I mean? It's like the people at a company are what make any company worth anything. You know, it's like the people who give a shit enough to like spend hours doing the work, you know, and who are proud to do the work are not replaceable. No matter, I think, how much people or a company or brand wants to feed that into, into, the, into the ethos of, of why they exist, right? Um, I think a second thing is everyone is figuring it out as they go, you know, and I think as long as you're honest and thoughtful about your decisions, no one is going to be mad at you for not being perfect. So just throw that, you know, throw that out the window. And, you know, I think a third thing is also that like, um, there are definitely people who are better than you, 110%. There's always somebody who is better than you, but that doesn't negate the fact that you also bring a very unique thing to the table. You know, a, a person being better than you doesn't mean that you are not thoughtful. You know, it doesn't mean that you are not smart. It doesn't mean that you are not good. Um, and, you know, it again, it just doesn't mean that you don't bring something valuable to the table. And I think it, it, when, you, when we let go of that little bit of ego, we can understand that a little bit more. Mm, 
Yeah, definitely. There's there's a a thing that my friend said to me a while ago, and he was in an industry that there was loads of people that were doing that skill set, and I was like, but what what sets you apart? And he was like, they get me. Mm-hmm. There's other people that have got that same same skill set, but they get me as a as a person, and I think that's mm-hmm. completely right. Is that mm-hmm. when companies are hiring, they're hiring the person as well, not just. Exactly the skill set. And I think that's so easy to forget because we're so hard on ourselves. We're going into therapy here, but. (laughs) (laughs) I love therapy. I love it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we should do like a design therapy, uh, you know, (laughs) course. Yeah. Um, Again, um, where can people find your work? Uh, Coinayuba.com. Excellent. Um, thank you so much, uh, again, for all of your time, um, all of your advice and the stories and, um, guidance. I know that this will be incredibly helpful for, you know, all the creatives out there to, to kind of hear. So again, thank you so much for your time. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure to have you. It was really, really tight to be on here and I appreciate you guys having me on. Hey, anytime. You're always welcome back. The Pathfinder podcast has been brought to you by Shillington the original graphic design bootcamp. To learn more about the podcast and Shillington, click the link in the bio. Show your support by subscribing and rating us on your preferred podcast platform. Original music composed and performed by Manakshi. Thanks for listening.